Hey friends, thanks for tuning in to the Church Planner Podcast. Before we started today, wanted to tell you about a really special opportunity. Our friends at the Micro Church Conference put on by Brave Future, um, happening April 18th through the 20th in Kansas City. This is for all of you who are wondering what is a new kind of paradigm for missional church planting and church multiplication through smaller expressions of church, what they call rediscovering the smaller way. It's happening April 18th through the 20th. Kansas City is being hosted by Kansas City Underground. It's going to be a great weekend. And they've given us four free registrations to give away. Normally the price is $90, but we will get you into the conference for free. We have four of those. What you can do to enter is go on our Instagram at Church Planter Podcast. And there you'll find um, a, a DM button. Click that DM button. Send us a DM with your email on it and your name and where you serve. So email, name, where you serve, and you'll be entered to win one of four micro church conference registrations. You just get yourself to Kansas City and uh, you can be there and learn a ton from our friends at Brave Futures. Hope you enjoy the show today. Sir, the possibility of successfully navigating an asteroid field is approximately 3,720 to 1. Never tell me the odds. I'm Pete Mitchell. He's Peyton Jones. And this is the Church Planner Podcast. Today's podcast is brought to you by Newbreed Training. Newbreed exists to provide you with courses, cohorts, and resources from the Newbreed team, such as yours truly, Andrea Jones, Ralph Moore, Alan Hirsch, Hugh Halter, and many more. To learn to disciple like Jesus so you can plant like Paul, head on over to newbreedtraining.com. And now, back to the Church Planner Podcast. Hey, Church Planner, this is Pete Mitchell. And this is Peyton Jones. Today's topic is going to be the role of the supernatural in your church plant. And of course, that'll be followed by the obligatory smack talk. All right, Scott, it's time for this week's topic. Let's get down to the nitty-gritty. Okay, the role of the supernatural in your church plant. Let's talk about this. I have been reading the biography of Lonnie Frisbee again for the second time, and I've really been struck by— Well, first of all, set everyone up who doesn't know who Lonnie Frisbee is. (laughs) Lonnie, Yeah, thanks for that. Lonnie Frisbee was the catalyst, highly apostolic. I'd say in the last hundred years— No one more apostolic than Lonnie Frisbee. Lonnie Frisbee was the kind of catalyst of the Jesus movement. He was the catalyst at the Haight-Ashbury movement where it started. A lot of people don't know that. There's a group of people up there. Lonnie came into it. Boom, it explodes. He comes down hitchhiking once a month down to Santa Ana Costa Mesa, where he was originally from. Boom, Calvary Chapel catalyzes. I mean— hundreds to thousands. And then he goes to the vineyard um, on Mother's Day, 1980. Boom, the thing catalyzes, becomes what what it was, becomes the next movement, Pentecostal, signs and wonders, um, all that kind of stuff, which maybe you're listening, you're like, ew, not for me. Well, you know, Lonnie Frisbee came into a time where vineyard was just a Calvary chapel, but the Holy Spirit dropped a bomb and they didn't know what to do with it. Like, what do we do? do here, right? Because anywhere this guy went, 
he catalyzed things in a big way. And then he had some moral failures. He dropped out. He went into the ministry of intercession, which is prayer behind the scenes, which he said, as cool as it was for me to lead thousands of people to Jesus at the same time, um, it's been way cooler to be an intercessor. It's a unique ministry. It's what the kingdom of God runs on. There are people out there you'll never know their names. You'll never know who they are. And the kingdom of God is advancing through this powerful intercessory prayer movement. It's some little old lady. It's guys like Lonnie Frisbee that disappeared from the public eye. Um, in fact, it's funny. One, one of the greatest revival figures ever was Evan Roberts in Wales, who was head of the 1904-1905. He was a catalyst for that revival. And he became an intercessor. Um, you know, disappeared, had a nervous breakdown because of all the pressure of, you know, people wanting to um, have him bring the power of the Holy Spirit. And he just, he's like, it's not me. I've been trying to tell you guys the whole time. It's not me. And eventually he just shut himself off from everyone and said enough. And he just gave himself to prayer. And um, so Lonnie Frisbee, though, it, it was really interesting because you know, he talks about how his time slots when he was at Calvary Chapel, Costa Mesa, for counseling were 45 minutes. And he's like, some exorcisms took hours. Mm. And so I'd have to tell him, well, I'm not allowed to meet with you more than 45 minutes. So you got to come back next week. And he goes, so I did exorcisms sometimes in 45-minute slots, and that was real hard, you know, because they, they come back, you don't know what's happened, you know. Yeah, uh, how do you do that? Well, and that that's the thing is – um, interestingly enough, the, the movie, and we've talked about this, and I just want to remind people, if you saw the movie, um, that was the Greg Laurie, uh, biopic, really, um, Lonnie Frisbee is portrayed incorrectly in that movie. Um, what was the name of the movie again? Was that the Jesus revolution? The Jesus revolution. Yeah. <clears throat> in that movie, they actually show, um, Lonnie, uh, struggling with um, getting pushed out. Yeah. Yeah. And and in all actuality, what happened was um, Lonnie, this is the Riverside story. They completely misrepresent that. What, what actually happened in my opinion, I don't know who was responsible for this. If it was Greg or maybe the, the directors or whatever, it's not how it happened. Anyone who was there or uh, lived through that will tell you, and I can give you multiple names of people that were there, uh, prominent figures who said that's not how it happened, right? Uh, but who's to know in today's generation? But Lonnie actually had they they had a house there in um, like a commune that they started, almost like a rehab for people um, that was like a discipleship home, and it grew, and hundreds of kids are getting reached because Lonnie's turning them out as missionaries. And so they eventually have um, this youth group that um, was All Saints Episcopal Church in Riverside that invited Lonnie with all these young people and said, hey, would you um, come minister to our young people? It was real small. It grew to hundreds and then eventually over a thousand people. And that was what he planted that became uh, Harvest um, later. And the uh, in the movie, they make it like, oh, it's just a few people, and they're trying to push Lonnie out. And they did try to get Lonnie to go over there and take that because uh, Lonnie was problematic, particularly because he was doing signs and wonders 
um, and miracles, and they were happening. Like they were happening in Calvary Chapel. The first one he ever did in Calvary Chapel, he said, I prayed, and Lonnie was really honest, by the way, um, the, where they have him in Catherine Coleman's show, and he's supposedly uh, you know, trying to take all the limelight and credit. You can actually watch the video. None of that happened. Lonnie, and, and I remember my sending pastor, Bill Welsh, I was talking to him afterwards because I was broken up. I, I cried for almost a day after watching that movie just because of the misrepresentation. Yeah. Like Lonnie's one of my heroes and it, I, I couldn't stop crying the next day. I, I kid you not, but it was almost like I was grieved in my spirit and, um, but it's okay. You know, in heaven, all this stuff is right, but it just, it was such a, uh, for me, it was more like you had a chance to tell the story of an apostle an evangelist and a teacher and how the APAS works together and evangelists being evangelists, right? I mean, that's, that's what often happens is the evangelist like, hey, no, 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 no. You know, like the evangelist steps out in front. If anyone's going to do that, it's the evangelist. The apostle's the one that takes the back seat and says, no, no, it's about mobilizing everyone else, which is what Lonnie did, right? So even on the Catherine Coleman show where he tried to say, yes, I am the John the Baptist, none of that happened. If you actually watch, he's pointing to Jesus the entire time. And Catherine's honoring him, and he's just deflecting everything to Jesus. And um, and so when it when it comes down to it, um, Lonnie's first miracle was, and this is where I say the dude was super funny. He was super down to earth, super goofy, super human. Um, and by that, I mean he was human to the nth degree. But uh, he's praying, and he feels God tell him, to pray for healing during one of the Wednesday nights, which later became Greg Laurie's Monday night. Basically, Lonnie built all this stuff that Greg inherited when Lonnie moved. And in the story, they don't really portray it that way. They portray it that Greg was the answer to, you know, um, um, everything that God wanted to do. And God has used Greg, no doubt. But it, it, it didn't quite happen the way that the film uh, says but uh, Lonnie was problematic for sure because Calvary Chuck had come from the Foursquare movement and didn't want to uh, uh, go back there because he saw so many abuses of of these things. But Lonnie wasn't looking for it, and he he just kept experiencing it. So God would tell him things like, "Hey, pray for healing," and he's like. And I'm thinking, man, nothing's happened in this whole meeting. I'm praying, and I'm like, hey, blah, 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 blah. And he, he's just praying like, hey, somebody here, you know, if you if you need healing, come. no one comes forward. It wasn't really the scene. Afterwards, this this girl comes up to him, and she's got these little – she's got like five, six warts in her hand. And she she says to him, hey, these my foot was covered in these. Um, and when you prayed, they fell off my feet. And she brings them. She says, I, I just grabbed a few of them. And she she brings them. She says, but they they were, you know, they're on the floor back there. But, like, it's gross. It's super gross. And Lonnie's like, yeah, it was really gross. And it was weird. And I'd never heard of that before. But I was like, okay. And he was like, basically, you don't, you don't go touting that a bunch of warts got healed. He goes, it was kind of like God's sense of humor. Like, yeah, you don't get to be a bigwig with this. You're not going to be a faith healer on TV. I'm going to work through you powerfully, but it's not for your ego. Like you don't mm -hmm. get to, you don't get to brag about this. Like, and he goes, and it actually was like funny to me, like really God, like you told me to heal and, and, and warts fell off 
this lady's foot, this girl's foot. And, uh, but there were so many on her feet, like she had not had them treated and they had just spread. So she, she said, almost my whole foot was covered. And she goes, it's so awesome that I don't have this now. But like some of you listening, you're going to be like, no, like that. But I mean, I've seen miracles and I think we get very used to not seeing miracles. Mm. So when we hear of them actually happening, we're, we're like, no, that's, is that made up? No, is that phony? And I saw my first healing, supernatural healing in my youth group, um, in a medical emergency. And, um, it would have been life-threatening. Uh, the person would have died. And my youth group, that was the first time I saw an exorcism was in my youth group where a girl had goo shooting out of her face, was speaking in a man's voice without her lips moving, um, was convulsing all over the place. I mean, I, I saw that at 17 years old. And there were 30, 40 kids just praying. It was in a discipleship group. And that demon came right out, like, boom. And I've been in exorcisms where I'm like, man, I need 30, 40 young people around right. me praying right now because that's instantaneous. But when it's a couple of us, um, sometimes it's harder. But, I mean, I saw all that stuff as a young believer because there was still enough of the Jesus movement left over where nobody was forcing anything. There was, like, still trickles of the Holy Spirit's power coming through because people lived through it. And they just knew, like, this is what God does. Ralph Moore made a statement um, not long ago, and I, I might have mentioned on the podcast where he said that, he goes, you know, it's so weird because during the Jesus movement, you know, this is where all this weird stuff came from. Where People are like, it's a one-step, man. It's a one-step. Um, it's not a 12-step program. You know, God will do it like that. The, it's You can't codify that forever. But Ralph Moore said, we didn't realize at that time that that wasn't the norm because God's power is so, so prevalent that when we would pray for someone to get set free from drugs, they just would. And then down the line, some people assume like that's how it always is. And there's something wrong with you. If God doesn't immediately set you free from an addiction, the problem is you. Um, or you're not thinking right. And people are like, well, I, I did all that. I prayed all that. Which by the way, I remember in Long Beach, <clears throat> I think uh, you and maybe Charlie were praying for that one dude who was addicted to heroin. And he goes, uh, uh, what is that? And you're like, that's the Holy spirit. And he's like, I don't know if I like that. <laughs> like, cause he was literally, <laughs> he was getting healed instantly yeah. right then. When yeah. He felt it. Yeah. I, I remember that. I mean, that, that was pure power of God. Uh, like you could feel the healing power of God at that moment. And you know, here's the thing, guys. Like, uh, you, you know me, right? The one thing you'll notice about people that that God uses in those ways are knuckleheads. I'm a knucklehead. This is one of the reasons we do smack talk, right? Um, I remember Keith Green, uh, very close, same as Lonnie Frisbee, because anyone who is around Lonnie Frisbee will tell you he was a nut. Like he was, he was funny as heck. He was cutting up all the time. He was hardly ever serious. Same with Keith Green. All of my family or my in-laws were not saved when they first met Keith Green. Keith Green's best friend married my wife's oldest sister. So my wife knew Keith Green personally. He was in and out of their house. Like I looked in my wife's family albums of like birthday party. Keith Green's right there, right? Like they were so tight. But I remember asking my brother-in-law, 
So you weren't saved when you met him. Like, what was your impression? He's like, oh, first time I met him was at uh, such and such wedding. And he goes, and he was doing the wedding, but he goes, I just remember thinking, this guy's funny because he was just cutting up the whole time. He goes, and then when he started like ministering, it was like, whoa, what is this? And, and to me, I have always believed that God will work most powerfully, not through a Pharisee, not through a faker, but through somebody who is legit and authentic, someone who's humble, who knows their flaws. And Lonnie Frisbee was definitely a poster child of that. But the reason that that I'm even bringing that up is we have so many misconceptions about the Holy Spirit. Um, miracles are and and healings and and any of those things, the supernatural is a manifestation of God's grace. So picture this: you're you meet Jesus in the first century. Like a lot of people only think of like the supernatural as like what the television preachers do on stage to get money. Nothing further than the truth, right? I actually don't believe in most of those miracles. Um, the Peter Popovs and all that were proved to be frauds. When you're on stage, uh, 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 red flag number one. Uh, warning number two, uh, you're asking for a bunch of money while you're doing it. Um, or three, it's linked to faith teaching. <laughs> Probably a good indicator that uh, this is not real. And You, you bring up a good point, by the way, that uh, God's miracles aren't for sale. They're not for sale. Remember Simon the Magus. Is that where you're going? Yeah, no, but that's a good point. Yeah. Yeah. Simon the Magus sees Peter doing miracles and laying hands on people for the baptism of the Holy Spirit. And he says, let me buy this power. <laughs> and and Peter, I mean, says, your money perish with you. Whoa. Like, he was not messing around, right? And I do believe Simon the Magus later got um, saved. And there's a reason for that. But we won't go into it. But um, his, Simon actually says, don't please pray for me. That doesn't, like, Simon gets scared, right? Like, But in anyways, going back to... Um, you you encounter Jesus. You don't know the gospel. You don't you just know that God sent this guy and he has the ear, he has like the bat phone to heaven, and you you need help. And so you go to Jesus and you know you haven't been obedient, you know you haven't lived well, you you've not been close to God, but you go to this man of God. So many of the people in the, in the gospels, they were far from God when Jesus healed them. And to me, that's so beautiful that the, the, the miraculous was an extension of grace, an experience of grace before they even knew the gospel. That's powerful. So what, what does that mean for you and your church plan? Um, in your church plan, it, it listen you're you're already perfectly primed when you're church planning for the spirit to work and here's why <clears throat> number one you're already out of your depth that's when god really the power of, of the holy spirit tends to come through is when you know you're weak and you don't got this you gotta yeah that's that. crazy right i mean it's yeah. not like when you're like Oh, you know, like I, I remember when we were in Refuge Long Beach, just to illustrate a point, I remember being in the worst exorcism of my life when Jeff came out. Uh, it, it was, oh, no, sorry. No, 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 no. It was before Jeff came out. 
And you know, like that scripture where it says, and they could not cast them out. Yeah. The disciples couldn't. I had one of those. And actually, um, you remember with my sciatica, right? Yeah. What what happened? So uh <laughs> the next day after this terrible exorcism, I'm in, no one can help me because nobody there understands this guy's possessed. And they just think Peyton and this guy are arguing. No, I was actually in the middle of a confrontation with the demoniac. And I was speaking to him both prophetically and then also rebuking him. And uh, he, it was it was the most, I've been in some crazy exorcisms, but this one was unreal and I had no backup. And I remember, um, and I told the team, I'm like, guys, if you ever see that, please come join me. Please stay understand um i said that that was a demoniac and um the next day i had sciatica now <laughs> this is like 12 years ago if if you had told me 12 years ago that you could get injured like from an exorcism i wouldn't believe you i would have thought that was crazy talk um but it happened to me and it, it got supernaturally healed um, another crazy story. Um, but I struggle with it for over a year. And someone prophetically, when I went to to be healed of the, they said, were you in a really bad exorcism? And I go, yeah, I was. I hadn't made the connection. And they said, uh, well, this is demonic. And I said, what? And And then I remembered, oh, this happened the day after. Of course, I think it's because I'm driving back and forth to Long Beach, you know. Right. And and it was healed immediately. Uh, right then, it came back two weeks later. Um, and then it got healed again. I had a, a weak relief, and then it got supernaturally healed for good. And that was years and years ago. It has never come back. And I've been way fatter than I've ever been <laughs> back then. It should have for sure come back, and I've done way more traveling. But uh, But it... It just was so weird. But I remember at that time, I was like, yeah, I need to beef up um, spiritually because I wasn't strong enough to to cast esteem out. And um, so I started reading Ian Bounds cover to cover and thinking I need to beef up. It was like it was like I was trying to hit the weight room. You know, it's like Batman when he when he can't beat Bane. So he starts taking the the, the Bane serum. And it's the worst thing for him ever. Me reading those Ian Bounds books was the worst thing for me ever. And I'll tell you why. Um, what it actually did is it made me start thinking about power instead of Jesus. Mm. And I, 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 my prayer life just got wrecked. And Ian Bounds is wonderful, but my motive was wrong. And I started not even being able to string two sentences together in prayer. And I remember just crying one day, like six months later, like, God, I can't even pray to you anymore. And and I felt the Lord speak to me and say, because prayer, this is when you guys hear me say prayer is a confession of dependence and weakness. If you're praying, it's because you're weak and you can't do anything. And that's your confession. Just showing up to prayer is a confession of inadequacy and a lack of self-sufficiency. And so, and God was like, well, you wanted to learn, right? <laughs> you read those six volumes. You didn't, you, you didn't get the assignment. The lesson was when you're weak, you are strong and I've made you weak. 
so weak you can't even pray. And it was like, whoa. And Jesus, and I mean, there are times God directly talks to you. And this was one of those times prophetically. And God just said, if you ever get your eyes off of me and onto the power, you've missed it. All I could do is lay flat on my back and look at Jesus. So that didn't turn out. But that's where, like I said, if you ever hear me say prayers is is the confession of dependence. There's things you don't get to be good at, evangelism and prayer, because both of those require you to be weak so that God can be strong, so that the power of Christ might rest upon you. That's why I'm saying you are perfectly primed as a church planner. Right now where you are, as weak as you are, as insufficient as you are, as all that. And what I think God is saying and doing in the church right now is we had COVID and it showed, it exposed the weakness of our systems that have been propping us up. Since we've come back from COVID, we are too weak. Our systems are too weak to reach people. Like the game changed, everything shifted and praise God because the only thing that the church has now is the power of the Holy Spirit. And if we don't tap into that, we've really missed it. But I actually think, guys, I actually believe right now with all my heart, we're heading into a time of spiritual renewal and a time of renewed power from the Holy Spirit. I believe God is going to move very powerfully coming up. And it's because the church has no other option. It's Holy Spirit or bust. For those of you that read my book, Reaching the Unreached, now is that time. All of my books are are slightly prophetic and ahead of the curve, slightly uh, reaching the under, or, uh, church zero chiching. That um, that's our rule. Uh, that book predicted the shift that we're talking about. Um, I said ten to fifteen years because I didn't realize. I thought it would happen slowly through a process of devolution. I did not realize it would be a catastrophic event that would bring it much more quickly. But in the book, I predict this is coming. You're going to need this advice. Don't worry. It's coming. Um, In Reaching the Unreached, I talk about the Spirit's power and connection with mission that all of our systems are failing. Again, now is the time for that and to be tapping in. In that book, and I'm not here to sell a book. It's just occurring to me as we're talking. In that book, I talk about what it means to surrender to the Holy Spirit, how the filling of the Holy Spirit happens, how the baptism of the Holy Spirit happens. People have said about that book that Church Zero was fun and I couldn't stop laughing and it challenged me and punched me in the face and made me think. Reaching the unreached are like that book wrecked me, like to the core. It wrecked me. And it's a harder read because of that. You're not going to fly through that book. Um, So, and it's because it's going to go deep and it's going to hit hard, but it will prep you to be in a the very good place of surrender to God in your own weakness and inadequacy that the power of Christ might rest upon you. Because that's what mission does, right? Mission forces you to depend on God. That's why church planning perfectly gets you to where you need to be. And the question is, are you ready? Are you ready? I I, I think God is asking that of his bride. Are you ready? Are you ready for what I'm about to do? Are you ready for me to take control? Are you ready for me to to empty you of you and to fill you with me? 
Are you ready to come to the end of yourself? Are you ready to obey me? And you know, it's it's funny, like that that's the the message of Lonnie Frisbee in his biography. He goes, Here's a secret for me. God tells me to do something, and I just do it. He, t- he told me to pray healing at Calvary Coast Mesa, so I did it. <laughs> it was really embarrassing. Seemed like nothing happened. The meeting ended, and I go, well, that was fun. But he goes, and that lady walked up to me with words, I, that teenager. And he goes, you know, and it and it was vindicating, but it also was still humbling. Like God was saying, this is how it's going to be. You're not, not going to get to brag or boast about this stuff when I do it. And so I think that's kind of where we're heading right now. We're in a time where people are addicted. The amount of people taking their lives right now because of substance, famous actors, you're reading the obituaries like I am. We're in a time right now where everybody, I'll talk to people, they're like, yeah, I just took my son to rehab or, you know, my, my, my daughter's cutting on herself or, you know, whatever that's, it's, we're in a dark time and we're going to need the power of the Holy Spirit right now. Do you really think you're going to be able to go from this talk into smack talk? All right. It's a bold move there, Cotton. <laughs> yes, that's true, isn't it? That is true. Uh, may need to rethink our strategy, but no, that's what we're doing. That's what we're doing. We're hitting this. And then if you need now after that to uh, do something besides going in your prayer closet and getting on your face, if you're still driving and you're like, I'll do that later, uh, then smack talk's coming up for you. And now a message from our sponsor. At Reliant, we understand that the journey towards financial sustainability and church planning can be tough, especially when you're charting new paths. That's where we step in alongside you as a partner. With our biblically-based support raising training and coaching, we empower you to invite others to partner with you in the work that God is doing in and through your church plan. But we don't stop there. We also partner with you by handling back-end employment services like payroll, HR support, and comprehensive benefits like medical, dental, and even offer a 403B9 retirement plan. Our goal? Freeing you up to spend even more time sharing the gospel in your context. Oh, and did we mention being able to do it in a healthy and sustainable way yet? If you visit Reliant.org slash CPP today, you can learn more and also get access to the three videos addressing the questions. Is support raising biblical and applicable to today? These three videos are a preview of our training, and we hope they will encourage you as you invite others to be gospel partners with you. Our heart, like yours, is to see more healthy and sustainable church plants. You have the vision, mission, and passion for this church plant. We can help. Visit Reliant.org CPP today to learn more and get your free resource. Now, back to the Church Planner Podcast. It's going to take everything I got not to do smack talk right now. Well, we are doing smack talk right now. We're in a time loop right now. Pete and I have decided that we are going to switch the way that this is on the show, but we're still doing smack talk first because we can't do smack talk after we've been serious. And and usually we can't be serious. (laughs) You know, it's kind of funny because smack talk naturally developed. And I think the the anatomy and physiology, maybe the psychology, if you want, of smack talk was 
we knew we had big topics to cover, but we had so much funny crap going on in our church plant. And in some ways, it was us both reflecting and pondering all this rad stuff that was happening at our church plant. Plus, it was us procrastinating of getting serious. Like we into these big topics. You summed it up best one time when you said, really, this podcast is our friendship. And so it's just our friendship. And then, oh, yeah, we got to do a little bit of churchy stuff. And then we got into churchy stuff. It 100% is that. Uh, Andrea told me at one point, she goes, you know, you know, I, I I think your friends are cool and all. She's like, but the one friendship you need to always keep is Pete Mitchell. I think she knew you were good for my soul. And that's how you know she's actually a closet alcoholic <laughs> and doesn't actually like you. <laughs> Yes, she takes pleasure in my torment. That is exactly what it is. She's like, you know, I probably can't get away with tormenting him as much, but if I could hire someone to wait, I don't need to hire someone. I was uh, I was telling our our pastor he was over one time, and we got on the subject of uh, how you and I met. And so I told him the story of you, you called me one day, and and then you said, yeah, the Holy Spirit told me to call through my my database. And as soon as I talked to you, I knew you were the person I was supposed to talk to. And of course, my reply to that has always been, are you sure it was the Holy Spirit telling you to call through your database? Yeah. yeah. I always laugh about if I called maybe one or two people more, I would have had a million dollars. I would have found the real reason God told me to call yeah. through the list. Yeah. But I was like, uh, Chuck, uh, I'll take what's behind door number one, please. Uh, no, oh, no. Hey, I don't got to see the options. No. Hey, so what's going on in your life right now? Well, uh, pretty much. Actually, it's really bad. I just got, uh, I don't know why I'm doing this on Smack Talk. We need to talk offline. I got two really uh, tough diagnoses of my youngest daughter this week. So uh, we'll talk. I actually meant to call you afterwards and uh, and chat with you. But um, I definitely don't want to hear what to you this week on the podcast <laughs> oh, i actually dude. by the way i can't I was, tell you how bad i want to tell that story <laughs> i was doing a training this week and i and i mentioned to them oh by the way uh if you do uh uh the podcast church planner podcast because we talked about he gets us on our training i i decided i'd go off road and and i said this is not the path we're supposed to go down but i'm gonna off road today which is great about training you can one of the best training sessions we've ever had. Interesting. And and I said I warned him. I said, you know what? Uh, if you have a, have a sensitive stomach, maybe don't listen to the second half. It's called Smack Talk. <laughs> well, it would have gotten really bad this week, but I'm telling you, it was such a good story. It was such a good feeling that I really want to tell the story, but I can't. The, I know I can't. this this it's too gross. If you thought last week's Smack Talk was gross, and I told him, I go, I go, what happened is my co-host Pete. He had a medical issue, and I'm an RN, and the podcast might have taken a bit of a dark turn. <laughs> and it got even worse. I still love that when I was texting you. Uh, what did I say exactly? I was like, <laughs> hold on. I got to look this up here. I said, uh, where's Peyton? Where's Peyton? There's Peyton. Uh, oh, man. Where is it? Where is it? Okay. I go, want to hear something gross? And then before you say anything, great. I'll share. <laughs> this like, is why even, we're friends I don't even wait <laughs> it's funny those things used to go around on uh facebook where they would say like 
who's your one friend that you know it's so messed up you can't tell anyone, but you can tell that one person, and you and I would automatically think of each other. So, uh, see, that's what I tell you. Even though you go, you, you love where you live there in California. You're like, yeah, but if we move, I'm really liking the East Coast. I'm like, yeah, but I live in Texas, so you got to move here. That's like, what I told Andrea. I told her about that. I'm like, yeah, you know, Tennessee always looks good to me. I mean, who wouldn't want to get it? It really does, doesn't it? Oh, my gosh. Oh, man. But I, I was I was telling her a conversation. She goes, but why Texas? And I said, you know, that's what I said to Pete. And he said, because I live here. <laughs> What'd you say to that? <laughs> yeah, I, I, You haven't I, seen I, him in years. What does it matter? No, no, I, I, I told you she believes in our friendship. No, I actually think that um, for her, Texas, even, I mean, the Magnolia ladies there, right? I think if anyone were going to bring in to Texas, be that lady. All ladies like her, I think. That's the whole, I told you, that's the whole reason we moved to Texas. Jamie wouldn't look at any other state because she watched so much of that. Yeah, um, fix her upper show. Yeah, Chip and Joey again. She, she's like the. Uh, well, we knew we weren't going to move to Waco because we were smart. <laughs> but she's like, like the Princess Diana of American women. Yeah, Lady Di. That's what she is. Yeah, that just hit me. That's brilliance, instant brilliance on the podcast today. Go and tell your wife today. Hey, you like the Magnolia Lady because she's the Princess Diana of America, and your wife will think you're very wise try it what i can tell you is where we live in texas it's the stinking united nations here like i was telling this to uh my buddy wayne i'm like yeah dude my daughter mackenzie she's nine years old her two best friends are russian like probably 40 to 50 percent of our school is indian and i don't mean native american Right. So yeah. I am using the correct term because I did have someone correct me. They go, Oh, they don't call them Indians anymore. I go, they do when they're from India. <laughs> but, <laughs> I mean, it's like, we are like, you'll be walking down the street. Uh, last night, uh, Luke was in football practice and I was shooting some videos out in the park and some guy was walking by and I'm like, I have no idea what language that is. And I can't tell by looking at him, like what ethnicity he is. Like it is the United nations where we live. Like, That's so if awesome. you're, if you're a church planner and you're like, Hey, I really want to reach the world. The world's coming here. Come. It is coming here. Come. And, and that is one of the most exciting things I believe about, uh, church planning right now is, is the global emphasis. You know, Jesus said, Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and the ends of the earth. When I wrote that book, I wish, and, and maybe one day I'll write a, a version two of reaching the unreached. Cha-ching! Um, I, I wrote the ends of the earth as a way to, Hey, uh, the, the, there's no frontiers here, but you got to start where you're at. You got to go. Now I find the hardest thing for leaders is to get them mobilized into action. I come doing a, a discipleship training right now. All of the people that aren't in ministry are busy making disciples right now. Hmm. It's the leaders that are stuck, uh, in, in most of my groups. Um, that with exceptions, like there's some people like they're just going to town, mm. but I always have this thing, like you have to be a practitioner. And I, even, even in my own group, I told him, I said, I am actively discipling right now alongside with you. So, um, as you guys are doing this, I'm pushing myself to make disciples, um, in this group as well. Like, like I will always be a practitioner of what I train. So, um, that's, that's always a big deal to me. Yeah. That's but, cool. um, 
Yeah, trying to get leaders to do it is tough. I don't know why I'm going off the reservation and and uh, talking about that because now I, it's time for us to get serious. Apparently, apparently. But you know, I was gonna say real quick if I could rewrite that book though, that last chapter um, to the ends of the earth, I would write about that now that people have come here. And I knew that then. I don't know why that wasn't the go-to. Maybe I just felt like, hey, you boneheads, you need to actually get busy, which was the whole point of the book. Like, take action and the Holy Spirit will come upon you if you're obedient. But that actually does lend itself to our topic today because obedience, believe it or not, is super important when it comes to the supernatural. Um, so what I want to do today is I want to talk about the role of the supernatural in your church plant. Uh, was I supposed to say, dun, dun, dun. no, you're supposed to do your great Scott. I already did it. Oh, wait, oh, you, did supposed it? To do it? Well, you told me to do it right after you said, this is what the topic is. And, and you did it. See, yeah, I, you- I have dementia. See, this is what I'm telling you. We can't do smack talk after. We can't, we're, we're losing it. I don't remember. I We'll get good. Well, I believe in us, Pete. All right. So uh, you, you want me to do it again? Yeah. Just in case. I feel All like right. I need those training wheels. Here you go. All right, Scott, it's time for this week's topic. Let's get down to the nitty gritty. I feel like we're in a time loop now. I really feel like we're Doctor Who, like we're Time Lords. Oh, see, now you're bringing up smack talk again. I would love to be a time lord. I would love to go to the TARDIS. Yeah, but then you'd have to come back as a woman sometimes. I would love to go to the TARDIS. That's all I'm going to say. I'm not going anywhere more with that one. Hey there, bivocational pastors. Are you tired of spinning your wheels, trying to juggle your church duties and provide for your family? Well, hold on tight because I've got some game-changing news for you. It's time to unveil MissionByBusiness.com, the holy grail of training programs crafted exclusively for bivocational pastors like you. We get it. Your time is sacred, and you deserve a money-making solution that won't suck up every minute of your day. In just nine short weeks, you'll become a powerhouse, armed with the secrets to launch your own business using the mind-blowing force of artificial intelligence. Yep, AI is going to be your secret weapon. Now it's time to stop dreaming and start acting. Head over to missionbybusiness.com and feast your eyes on our masterclass video, which covers everything in much more detail. It's time to build a business that fuels your dreams, supports your church, and provides for your family. Don't wait another moment. Seize this opportunity with both hands. Head on over to missionbybusiness.com now. All right. Well, I guess that's how we sign out then, huh? I guess. I, I don't know. If you want to reach the ones that nobody's reaching, you need to go where nobody's going and do what nobody's doing.